Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. We are coming to you from our top secret headquarters at Project Quantum Leap, but you can find us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fate's Wide Wheel. And please do us a favor by hitting the subscribe button on iTunes. All right. Hello, everybody. Hello, welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. Dennis, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing fantastic. I love, uh, how, I love how we always say this, like we just haven't spent 10 minutes talking before we, <laughs> before we right. jump in here. We're two old friends just getting together for the first time. Haven't seen one another in ages. Uh, no, it's been a while since we've seen <laughs> each other in person, and that's weird. It ha- yeah, that's very true. Well, we even talked about getting together today, but you know, there's just a lot of stuff going on. Um, I think in both of our worlds. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. But anyway, so this week we are here to talk about Private Dancer. Indeed, uh, this one's going to be fun. I think um, uh, Private Dancer uh, was directed by Debbie Allen, uh, written by Paul Brown. Our leap date is October the 6th, 1979. Uh, Our air date, I kind of switched those around this time around. Sure. Uh, Our air date is March 20th, 1991. Again, that leap date is October 6th, 1979. Sam has leapt into Rod the Bod, and we're in New York City. Yes, let's talk about the TV Guide description. Sam, Scott Bakula, is thrust (laughs) into the role of a male exotic dancer who must help a deaf dancer, played by... Rodney Ro- Rodney, I'm not sure how you pronounce her name. Rodney Berrialt. I'm not oh, sure how to pronounce it. It's, it's Rondi uh, Rondi Berrialt, I believe. Rondi Berrialt. That's that's a good one. Uh, a much better pronunciation than I made. Uh, we're gonna start this over again. Here's what we do. I'm gonna read it. When I get to her name, I'm gonna have you say it. Sam <laughs> Scott Bakula is thrust into the role of a male exotic dancer who must help a Deaf dancer, Rondi Berrialt. Thank you. Avoid falling out of step and into a tragic life and death. Oh man! Two puns in that description there. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. So we are in uh, one of our listeners, uh, Diana. Coincidentally, uh, had pointed out a message that we've been sending back and forth. Uh, this is where we started to get a stretch of episodes of Quantum Leap, where we spend a lot of time in the seventies and the eighties. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, we tend to spend a lot of times in the fifties and sixties. Uh, now we're up here. Uh, I'm I am three months old at the time of this episode. Oh man! Uh, any episode that takes place in in in. 1979 has a special place for me because yeah, <laughs> it's, it's right in my birth year. Absolutely. I'm going to have to keep an eye out to see if we get any 1981 episodes. Um, I don't know. Sorry, I, I, just was flipping, I was flipping forward a little bit in Matt's book just to see what some of the years coming we're, up are. But, we're um, falling in, yeah. No, no 81. No 81. Yeah, but we are in 1979, and we were talking about this off mic before we started recording. This is one of the very few episodes that was directed by a woman. That's right. Four episodes in total, um, two of which were directed by Debbie Allen, yep. who directs this episode. Um, the other two we'll get to later on uh, were directed by a woman uh, by the name of Anita uh, Addison. The interesting thing is, is both of the women directors for Quantum Leap were also African-American. Ah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, And it's also interesting, too, because Debbie Allen's character within the context of this episode, skipping way far ahead, it's in one of the last scenes, 
talks about the fact that as a black woman, she had to work extra hard in order to get her own dance company. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, I, you know, it's interesting to, to think that more than likely, um, somebody like Debbie Allen, who's an incredibly talented person and had worked on fame before this, um, and Anita Addison probably had to indeed work harder, you know, as black women sure. in order to become directors. Um, and, and Anita Addison actually ended up going on to become, we'll talk more about her obviously in the future, but she went on to become a network executive and she was one of the first African American females to be a network executive. So kudos, you know, kudos, kudos all around. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I was going to say something that totally slipped out of my memory. It'll, it'll come back. It's, you know, it's, it's one of those days. We're it's, both, it, we are both dads. <laughs> We are. I've, I've got Hattie in my arms right now. Once again, it's become almost a quantum leap tradition here to talk know? about. Yes, uh, and, and uh, we've been a little sleep deprived the last few nights. Harrison has figured out how to crawl out of his crib. Yeah, Betsy uh, told me that in an email because Betsy is working on um, the logo well, for, for, your, for yeah for the other podcast. Yeah. So so, uh, so yeah, we've had some interesting nights here. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so let's dive into the episode, and then I'm, sure, we, I'm sure what I was going to say will come back to me uh, later on. So Sam, he leaps in. He is in a Zorro outfit, uh, yep. and he is very clearly in a male strip club dancing to Ladies' Night. He is indeed. Uh, and we get um, a voiceover that, at first, it doesn't really seem... To play like you're kind of like where does he go with this because he starts <laughs> off like in ancient Rome they used to throw you know it's like what is he talking about I had that um, I had a, that exact same thought yes I was like where where are you going with this Sam yeah because it's like in ancient Rome slaves were forced to fight armored gladiators to the death if the slave survived he'd be set free in this crowd he'd be eaten alive <laughs> it's like okay I see where you tied it all in there buddy yeah that's yeah. Uh, so yeah, he, uh, he, he, he leaps in, he, uh, he gets ravaged by some women. Uh, I'm sure we can imagine where he was being grabbed and groped at. Yes. And, uh, yeah, there's probably a lot to be said about sexual assault and a lot of that in there, but yeah. Well, it, yeah, and, you know, the thing that's very interesting uh, on top of all this is the other Chippendales dancers that we see are very fit compared to Sam, who is also very fit, but, like, we see a lot of very chiseled male bodies oh, we do. Uh, in the opening scene here. And it's also because I, I did take note of that, of how ripped Scott Bakula is versus the actor who plays Rod the Bod. The mirror image, yeah. And they they are about the same. And we've talked about this before on the podcast, I think specifically in relation to uh, to how the test was won. It is interesting to know, and I've actually seen an article online talked about it, how uh, the difference between 80s and 90s television and now, like what the expectations are actors for B what the for, for, for male actors yeah for for the shape that they're in. Like for like nineteen ninety standards, Scott Bakula was a very fit man. Right. But by today's standards, that would not fly. Like he would actually have to be ripped. Yeah. That, that was that, that would be the expectation. I mean if you take a look at like two uh very popular heroes, male television heroes of, of the eighties and nineties, both Don Belisario shows, obviously. You've got Tom Selleck as Magnum P.I., and then Scott Bakula as Sam Beckett. And you look at their bodies, and they spend 
you know, a fair amount of time shirtless within the context of their television shows, and you look at their bodies, and then you compare them to, say, a couple of, like, hero characters that we have today, like Stephen Amell in, in Arrow, you know, the Green yep. Arrow television yep. show. Like, yeah, there's no comparison. It's like, wow. Yeah. I, I mean, he makes them look like they're slobs. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, one that pops to mind, uh, it's been years since I actually watched the show, but Scandal... I don't know if you ever okay. watched the show, but I, the, no, I didn't actually. Uh, there, but there's, but there's uh, one scene in the first season where uh, the president of the United States like takes his shirt off in a sex scene, and he is ripped. I mean, r- I mean, like you can like pick out every single chest and pec and side, <laughs> yeah, the serratus muscles. You can pick out all of that, and I'm like, dude, you are the president of the United States. <laughs> when do you have time to work out eight hours a day? Right, right. But that's what expected. So anyway. Hey, yeah, it's, 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 it is. It's the expectation. Yeah. Um, also, apparently the expectation of the women in the audience is that they can indeed, as you were saying, grope Rod as much as they like. Yes. Um, plant kisses on him, etc. He, he escapes to his dressing room. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry, by the way, if anyone is able to hear... The aircraft overhead. Uh, it is the Chicago Air and Water Show this weekend, and so there are a, a lot of um, military aircraft in the area, just you know, buzzing around the building and uh, uh, the, the lakefront and everything. It's not quite as loud as it would be if we lived in our old place, but if anyone happens to catch that, I apologize. Oh, I, I was yeah, uh, I, I heard it in my ear set too, and yes, I mean we we're both like pretty far west, like we're about the same. Like you're yeah. th- you're three thousand west, I'm twenty five hundred west. We're getting it much less than if we lived yeah. over. Yeah. Right. My first apartment in Chicago was on Addison and Lakeshore. Okay. Nice. Which wow. is like yeah. a five minute walk from the lake. So yeah. 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 Anyway. Um, back, back, yeah, back to yeah. So, yeah, uh, so, so Sam gets into the, you know, gets into his dressing room. We should say before he gets off the floor, uh, Al's already made an appearance. Yes. Uh, this is a, this first thing. It's, it's, it's a little bit reminiscent of Disco Inferno. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because you know it, it takes place in the same era, the same music. Al shows up early and is dancing. There's even a nice hologram shot of of, of women passing through Al as he's dancing on the floor. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I just wanted to note this right off the bat. One of the things that's kind of interesting about Al in this episode is that we don't get um, nearly the you know chauvinism that we're used to from him uh, or, or, or sort of you know salacious comments um, as much we also don't get sort of like the smart Mr. Fix-It knows everything Al either in this episode uh, which I, I think makes for kind of an interesting dynamic between the two of them because there's no point in this episode where Al is like you know Oh, I know sign language, for instance, or oh, if you want to be a dancer, you need to do this, or if you, you know, it's 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 yes, different in some ways. I like that. And so, speaking of his, uh, yeah, the lecherous to jump ahead a little bit. I I love the moment in the episode where he recalls the the deaf woman that he had a thing for in college, yeah. and Sam can randomly remember that she would not sleep with him, and mm-hmm. Al's frustration over like, oh, you remember that, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice. It it, it kind of um, it, it it cuts Al down to size a little bit in this episode, and um, I think it kind of works. You know, um, it's not an episode about Al in any way. There's not any big Al interactions. This is a very you know um, 
subdued episode in many ways, but it but by no means does it suffer for that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So yeah. So Sam, uh, yeah, he gets into into the dressing room here. Uh, early on, we're also introduced to the characters of uh, oh, what's his name, uh, Mario. Oh yeah, good yeah. old Mario. Mario um, and uh, what is his assistant's name? Who becomes Otto? Uh, no, Otto's the bartender. So yeah, we do meet him. We get oh we, Valerie. Uh, Valerie, yes, yeah. She becomes more important later on in the episode. Obviously, but. she does. And and Valerie is played by Heidi Swedberg, who uh, anyone who watched Seinfeld would remember as. Um, George Costanza's ill-fated fiance Susan. Um, that was probably one of her more memorable oh, roles. Oh yes, and she was also she played Brandon's mom in Galaxy Quest. That's right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, she. Uh, it's interesting because her um, IMDb, you know, her list of credits um, starts in like '89, and there's a ton of stuff all the way up until 2010, and then there's not much since then. Um, which is surprising because she was really a staple, especially of television, uh, for, for, you know, going on 20 years, um, with lots of guest appearances on numerous popular television programs, um, including some recurring roles, you know, obviously the, the big one being, um, Seinfeld, but, um, yeah, I was kind of surprised that there wasn't anything after, uh, 2010. So yeah, um, you know what I'll say to that is I know we, we talk a lot about actors on, on the show and like looking at their IMDb page and like when their acting career seemingly stops, and mm-hmm. and I'm sure like you know having having been an actor I'm sure you probably heard this too. It's like the advice that everyone gives you when you start out in your acting career is that if you can find anything else that you would rather do, go <laughs> go do yeah. go do that yeah. go do that. And so when I see someone's page end on IMDb, when their acting career stops, I'm like, oh, they found the thing they would rather do. Right. And they went and did that. Yeah. No, that's a good point, man. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's worth noting that uh, Mario, played by uh, uh, Louis Mastillo, um, he, on the other hand, uh, is working until this day. He's got uh, something coming out um, this year, later this year. Uh, he's been on a couple of television shows. Uh, most recently, a show called Strange Angel, which I know nothing about. Um, but uh, yeah, he's done a lot of stuff. Had a, had a recurring role in The Sopranos um, for a little bit. Um, again, you know, has has a career going back uh, to about you know mid eighties, nineteen eighty six, nineteen eighty seven. So. Um, yeah, lots of lots of television in his uh, in his resume, um, especially lots of popular '90s shows. Sure, um, you know. Yeah. So in this first scene in the, in the dressing room, Al just shows up and basically says, like, he basically doesn't know why Sam is here yet, uh, but they'll know within 24 hours. Yeah. And so Sam is like, "What am I supposed to?" In the meantime, and and to that, Al's response is, "Shake your booty." Right. 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 Uh, and then from that, I think we're back out. Into the into the club, yes. Into the club, into the bar, yeah. And so this is where we get uh, we get a lot of great moments from the episode. In particular, like I love the sequence of Sam getting out on the floor and yeah. <laughs> and dancing with Joanna, and the re- and also like juxtaposed with uh, dancing with Diana, who we're going to get a more proper introduction to here in a little bit. But the reason that I love it is that so often we get the version of Sam who is bumbling and tripping over himself. 
And, yeah. so, and so I like that we get a version of Sam that is confident enough. Like, like we're definitely seeing like Scott Bakula, Broadway star dance moves. Oh yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, and it's interesting. Uh, I think worth noting that that he acquits himself very well when it comes to the dancing in this episode. And uh, I, you know, there's a couple of scenes where the lighting is is not that great, and it made me wonder. It's like, is that him? But the funny thing is, is immediately as I'm saying that, you get a glimpse of his face, and it's like they weren't pulling trick photography to to to, to hide, you know, the fact that it wasn't him dancing or whatever. It's like, no, that was him dancing. They just, you know, the lighting was what it was. Um, because they're after hours at the club or whatnot, but yeah, he he does he does very well for himself. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it never occurred to me that they would have used a double for for Scott Bakula. Any any kind yeah. of any kind of dancing or anything like that in the show or an instrument being played, I just assume it's it's him. I do feel sure. like towards the end of the episode, there is one shot of of a double being used for Diana, but I'm not sure. Because I know, yeah. in, I know in real life that actor is a dancer. So to me, I find it weird that they would that they would use a double for her for the dancing scenes. But right, yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, uh, frankly. Um, but I agree. It, it, it could just be, you know, it could just be one of those things where you're you're seeing a different angle or a different sure. piece of lighting or different. You know what I mean? Any number of things. Um, yeah, but. In this first scene, we are introduced to Joanna as well. And this is the thing that came into my mind earlier that slipped out. Um, Debbie Allen, who plays Joanna, she was uh, she appears in the episode. She directed the episode and she was of particular renown because of fame, the TV series. That's right. And that was a gap for me because I was aware that there was a fame movie. I never knew that there was a TV series. Yeah. I know it's funny. I, I remember I remember both, believe it or not, um, the, the film and the, the TV show. Uh, I don't know exactly why it is that I remember the TV show so well. Maybe it, I think maybe it was on WGN for a while, and I just remember seeing... You know the intro to it all the time, or, or whatever. I don't. I don't know. All I know is, is I, I have distinct memories of when I was a very young child of seeing, like you know, the the, the intro to it in particular. Uh, maybe my mom watched it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she played Lydia in both the the film and the TV show. Yeah, and because of that connection, we were talking about this off mic before we hit record. This is the third most viewed episode of Quantum Leap. Yep. When it was on the air. Yeah. Which is crazy because it, in no way is it like an atypical episode, but it's also not necessarily the episode that I think anyone would say, oh, that's Quantum Leap. You know what I mean? No, I mean, it's a great episode, but yeah. If I were, it is. Like, if I, if I were to give someone, like, a first episode to watch, like, I might give them Future Boy from last right. week. Uh but yeah, Private Dancer wouldn't cross my mind of like like a great first. I mean, it, it is a very good episode, but it would never would have crossed my mind to for that to this right. to this to be the very first episode of uh, of Leap. Do we have a do we have a, a woke baby? Sort of. She's somewhere in between right now. Oh, for sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and and she's great in this episode. I feel like. I, I, you know, I didn't even think about the fact as I was watching it that she also directed and choreographed the episode. When you think about the workload that she had and then the scenes that she's in, the importance of those scenes, the, the not only the gravity that she's able to bring to some scenes, but then the levity that she brings to others, I, I, 
she's great. Like she's great in this episode, and and she does a great job with the direction. The choreography obviously is very good for you know for for this television program that we're watching. I, like, I can see why they had her back. I guess my question is, is why didn't they have her back more often? You know what I mean? Absolutely. And we should say that the, the other episode that she directed was Revenge of the Evil Deeper in the fifth season, which is a very different episode from, very different episode. from this one. Yeah. Um, definitely shows her range as a director, I think, uh, to have directed an episode like that and then an episode like this. Yeah. Um, so, so and it's, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to add real quick. It's interesting, too, that we're seeing in close proximity episodes where uh, the director is also a prominent guest star because you had James Whitmore Jr. Um, in uh, eight and a half months mm-hmm. playing the father and directing the episode. And then, you know, here we have uh, Debbie Allen and not only directing, but also taking on the the choreography duties. Yeah, absolutely. And so in this first scene, in addition to that, we get introduced to uh, Diana. We get introduced to uh, Otto, the bartender. Yes. And, and the weird dynamic. And there's clearly, there's obviously something going on. It, it appears at first that Diana is is being aloof and ignoring Otto. And then we're right. going to find out later on that, no, it's because Diana is deaf. She can only really communicate with people if they are looking face-to-face so she can read their lips. And even more complicated, the fact is that Otto has the, the walrus mustache that that Diana refers to later on. Yeah. Uh, and then we get more introduction, I, I, I do think, to tomorrow and also a little bit of more Valerie in this, in this scene here. We also get introduced to a prominent character later on. Uh, in the in, in the episode when she tries to hit on when he tries to hit on Diana and Sam escorts him away, Martin, who is played by Henry Warnitz, who uh, I have actually mentioned before on this podcast because Henry uh, and I have worked together before actually uh, in a production of Midsummer Night's Dream uh, at the Indiana oh, Repertory wow. Theater. Um, Henry is legitimately one of the finest actors that I have ever had the privilege to share any sort of space with whatsoever. He is an incredible actor. Uh, his, his two guest appearances, he actually has two different guest spots, plays completely different characters on uh, Star Trek Voyager. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've brought these up before, but I feel it, it bears repeating. In my opinion, two of the finest performances in the history of, of Star Trek Voyager. Like, he is that incredible and both episodes I don't think it's any coincidence that both episodes are not about the crew Voyager they're more about the guest star and sure. it, he's the lead, he's basically the lead character in both of those episodes and is just brilliant I'm gonna have to go back um, and revisit those it's been a couple of years since I've made my way through Voyager yeah I, I mean he's 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 fantastic uh, and uh, he's you know does mostly stage work these days um, uh, and uh, unfortunately his, his his partner she passed away mm. um, a couple of years ago and, and I think he kind of has, has slowed down a little bit since then um, but uh, the two episodes of Star Trek that he did were Living Witness and Distant Origin um, and again in both of those episodes he plays the lead character um, it's, it's more about him than it is anything else um, but uh, I, I think that his performance in this is actually his very first piece of, of television uh, work. So yeah. oh, there wow. we go. <laughs> so so when, so when you worked with him, how bad did you geek out on him about uh, about these things? Uh, funny story. At the time I worked with him, I had no idea. I all I knew at the time that I worked with him is that he'd done like some Law and Order. That was that was about it. So 
uh, yeah, pretty pretty incredible that I find out afterwards. Well, maybe that's for the best that you didn't know that. It probably is. So you weren't starstruck. I mean, I kind of was anyway, because like I said, he was incredible. He played bottom, and it just was, it's, I mean, I, I've done a lot of Shakespeare. We've talked about this before, and, and uh, I mean, just watching him do Shakespeare was a revelation. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, that's but awesome. Anyway. But yeah, <laughs> so uh, he's not exactly doing Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not. And it's worth noting also that I, the only time I've ever seen him, he has facial hair. So when I first saw him in this episode, I was like, oh, God. He doesn't have a goatee. He doesn't have a mustache. Like, oh my god! Like, where's his facial hair? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. He is just. He is a per- perfectly trashy. Oh kid. yeah. 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 And even watch it at the end, like the way he puts his hand on Diana's shoulder. We'll get to this later, but like, yeah, he's he's very skeevy in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we get a lot. We get a lot of uh, exposition packed into this first scene. Yeah, it's a really great, you know, economy of storytelling. It's something we've talked about before, and I think that when, when Quantum Leap, when any television program, especially episodic of this nature, that, that, that is you know, basically telling a new story every week, uh, is able to do that and do it very well without it feeling ham-fisted, um, you know, you almost have to give it, like, a, a, a higher grade, you know? And it's like you, you earn bonus points because of the way that you decided to tell the story. Um, and I think that this this works really well, and it's it's very you know we're in one setting too you know we're at this bar this this dance club uh, the, the entire time and you have to think for the production designers the amount of effort uh, and, and forethought that went into planning out and designing this place and they probably used you know like you said it's similar to Disco Inferno I mean it's not like they were just whipping something up from scratch but uh it clearly was a, a set that could be shot from different angles and uh it looks good and and i, I like it excellent so we should also talk about uh the, the primary guest star in this episode say her name again for me Rondi Burial. there we go i don't know why that's such a mental block for me uh <laughs> but yeah so i will confess like i had her conflated with the death actor marley maitland sure sure um. Yeah, for years I, I yeah I, I had conflated those two, but she does not have a lot of film acting credits, and I was looking her up online elsewhere outside of IMDb before recording today. Uh, mm-hmm. It looks like she she lives in Oregon. Um, she still uh, uh, she credits herself as an uh, as an actor and a dancer. I found her Twitter profile, uh, which is protected. It's locked down. Uh, I think she's tweeted once, and like she has like fourteen followers, and she follows sixteen people. So she keeps a very low social media profile. It looks like. Sure. Uh, but yeah, she does incredibly well on this episode, uh, and, and it's I also agree. and it's also great that they actually use a deaf actor. For the for the deaf role in the show, absolutely, and it's worth noting. Uh, oddly enough, you know, you brought up Marley Matlin, and uh, that she actually uh, had a guest spot for two episodes on a television program, um, Reasonable Doubts, which uh, uh, starred Marley Matlin in, in the early '90s. Uh, she and Mark Harmon, and um, you know, obviously, Marley Matlin is probably the most prominent deaf actor, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, of the past 25, 30 years. And, um, 
so so there is that connection, you know, sure, that, yeah. that, that six degrees of separation there. Um, but she does do a wonderful job in this episode, and I think that you know the scene where she's walking through the park with Sam in particular is is, is incredibly well done, and I, I I definitely want to talk about that. Absolutely. So where do we go to from here? So we've been at uh, the bar. Oh, so Al shows back up, and this mm-hmm. and this is when he. Like he, he he drops like what Sam is is there to do and what happened to Diana in the original history that basically she goes into a life of prostitution before it's all over with she is arrested twenty six or twenty seven times and by before it's all over with what we mean by that is that she dies of AIDS in nineteen eighty six. Yeah. So uh, one thing that immediately popped in my head as I was watching this episode and you know being that it's nineteen ninety one. Um, it was spoken about in a very different way, but even even today, you know, I think uh, we have a tendency to say, you know, somebody dies of AIDS, and uh, I was schooled on this not too long ago uh, myself, so I'll share my experience. But uh, I said that because I was talking about, um, as I mentioned a couple of times, I work for the Joffrey Ballet. Robert Joffrey, of course, who founded the ballet company, was you know a world-renowned choreographer. Um, he did indeed have AIDS, and uh, he died of complications due to the AIDS yes, virus. That is a, which yes. is you know, which is something again. I, I just I said he died of AIDS, and afterwards, someone came up to me and they're like, "Hey, you know, I thought that your presentation was great, but I do want to let you know." Uh, and she, she, yep. like I said, she schooled me. Let me know that no one really dies of AIDS; they die of complications due to the AIDS virus. Exactly. Um, which is extremely nitpicky, but I think that in an episode that handles, you know, so many things so well, um, that it is interesting to point out. Con, you know, contextually, that in 1991, that would have been a very easy thing for people to just say and and not think twice about. And now here we are, you know, 27 years later, and I think that while people obviously still probably say that, that there is a, a different uh, uh, way of, of going about it, I suppose. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a... Yes. That is something that I, I have known before, but I have forgotten, and that's a great clarification to make there. Yeah. 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 And, and like I said, up until about a year ago, I was, you know... I uh, just yeah I don't I don't I, I yeah no words. <laughs> <laughs> so from there we we go into the we go into the next scene where where Sam meets with uh, Mario to try to talk him out of using Diana in his private bachelor parties his, his yeah. bachelor parties which we know it, it's it yeah we know what that yeah. But that's right. code and, for. and Mario even tries to Mario even tries to be like, hey, what they do after hours is entirely up to them. It's like, oh, come on, dude. Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. And so this is and so we get into kind of a sticky thing where in trying to prevent this from happening, Sam gets gets pulled down this road of Mario says like, oh, I can't remember how exactly but he, he makes some like wolf sheep metaphor. Yeah, so, like you, the virgin wool, you you know you you the virgin wool uh, kept from the other wolves for yourself or something like yeah, that. So, yeah, so uh, so so basically, it's like oh, like you're not really looking out for her well being. You're just trying to keep her for yourself. And Sam gets pulled into this thing where he he kind of he plays along and he says, "Yeah, that's why." And so it's like, eh, on one hand, that's kind of gross. Yeah. But on the other hand, you pick your battles. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's interesting because in the context of like who Sam is and what we've seen from Sam before, it would be very easy to believe that Sam would be like, no, you know, he would he would not feel comfortable with playing along. Um, but in in this episode, you know, he does. And, and I think you're absolutely right. I think it's just a case of like picking your battles and and. Also, that idea that we see and have seen recently even in episodes where Sam kind of tries to wrap things up quick, almost like, and I'm not saying, again, you know, when we talk about arcs in Quantum Leap, we have to do it very loosely because it wasn't necessarily part of any master plan. But you do get the sense in some recent episodes that Sam is kind of almost in a hurry to get done and move on to the next one. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's not, like, we've not... Since, you know, really since Leap Home, um, there's not been a lot of episodes where it seems like Sam wants to stick around. You know, he's he's usually ready to go. Like, he's like, what's my mission? How do I accomplish it? Great. Let's go. And there are a few episodes that we've gotten recently, including this one, where he tries to wrap things up in the first act, if you will. Yeah, it's, it's a very workman thing there. I'm trying to think, are there any episodes... I don't know if the TV episodes, like, really do anything, like, really come up or, like, they really explore this idea of, like, Sam wanting to stick around and kind of manipulating the situation a little bit so that he can do that. Right. I think a couple of the novels did that. Um, Sure. Yeah, that would have been, that would have been an interesting thing to explore. Yeah, yeah, because there's definitely... Like I said, in, in the recent episodes, there's definitely none of them that have seemed to be like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he so he has the conversation with Mario and ends up striking the deal that, uh, you know, Rod will cancel one of his bookings at the right. club uh-huh. in order to take uh, Mario's booking if he... You know, leaves her alone. Sure, um, and keeps her from do- keeps her from doing the parties, which right. which is which is a, an important specification to make because that is going to cause some conflict here in a little bit. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, and after this um, is when he comes out, and we do get our first. A uh, glimpse of uh, Joanna dancing on the dance floor, mm-hmm. um, and this is also when Sam, with gusto, you know, jumps onto the dance floor with her, and, mm-hmm. and we get this really great little dance sequence, and we can see Diana in the background, you know, interested and kind of moving in on the dance floor a little bit and wanting to get in on the dance as well, um, which is. Uh, uh, Again, it's just a nice piece of visual storytelling. Sure. There's well, no dialogue. Well, I mean, also, yeah, I mean, Diana, she does some dancing in this scene as well until Mario breaks it out. And he's, it, it, come, yep. come on, this isn't Soul Train, and gets her, and gets her back to working. And right. it's important. This is important because we find out later that Diana kind of saw this as her audition. Yes. For Joanna. Because later on when Sam is trying to talk her into auditioning, she says, well, I did. And she didn't take any interest in me. And Sam's like, "Well, it, it, yeah, it, it, it's not that's the same. How it works. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> not how it works. It's not the same. Like, like you can't use that as as your app to say that you've already that you've already auditioned for her, um, right? So, uh, so, so from here, shortly thereafter, um, we, we get a scene where Diana is dancing by herself. And again, like with with no, with no words or anything, like with 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 they shoot at economy of storytelling, she is deaf, but she hears the music through the bass yeah. of the speaker, and that's how she yeah. and that's how she's able to to feel and hear the music. And uh, 
so Sam comes in, he kind of, he's admiring her, he spies on her, she gets upset with that, she goes to leave. And it's like this, this, uh, this wonderful little scene of her just basically saying, hey, leave me alone. And I, I was like, watching this episode, it's like, you know, because it is very much on our minds right now with the Me Too movement and everything of like, you know, when a woman says no, when a woman says leave me alone, you leave her alone. And within that context, what Sam is doing here in the scene, it is kind of creepy. Like he's intruding in on a private moment. She says, leave me alone. He keeps persisting. There are a couple times in the scene like where he like she's leaving and he like literally like grabs her shoulder, or grabs her arm to turn her back around to get her attention. And she keeps saying, leave me alone. It's so it's this weird dynamic, like with, you know, you know, everything I just said, like, you know, the, the Me Too movement, and you know, respecting women more. There is that. But also at the same time, like Sam knows what the stakes are and needing to intervene in her life. Right. Well, to make I, things I would, better. I would also just throw out the idea that because when he we first grabbed her, there was definitely a moment where I was like, oh, man. And he does. Frankly, he does grab Valerie later in the episode as well. Yeah. And we've seen Sam grab, you know, grab women before. And yeah. and again, just contextualizing things, sure. in, in, you know, in, in early 1990s, like that was nothing out of the norm. You yeah. Know? Um, so but but I will throw this idea out there that it was the only way he was going to be able to get her attention. Sure. Because he knew at that point that she only reads lips. She turned her back on him. The only thing he could do was kind of like, you know, reach out and grab her. And so not only with the stakes, like you're saying, there was also this element of like, well, it was also what he had to do. Mm -hmm. Um, so it didn't necessarily bother me as much as other times that we've seen him do that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it is interesting. One of the things about, Diana, as I was watching this episode, I was really looking out for it. Uh, and, you know, maybe I shouldn't have been, but but frankly, I was looking out for Diana having agency. Because one of the things that, that I think would have bothered me a lot is if um, the episode would have played out like, poor little deaf girl needs this big, strong man to come in and save her and do make make her life right and, and do everything for her. Mm-hmm. And the episode succeeds very well in playing to the conceit of the television program, which is Sam has to come in uh-huh. and set things right, but also not negating the fact that this woman has her own agency, that she is able to accomplish these things on her own. She just needs a push in the right direction. And and to me, it makes the episode even stronger because in this whole scene that we're talking about right now, we get the sense that she, you know, she's a dancer. Uh, she has clearly, you know, been able to find a way to connect with the music um, and connect with this art form on her own. No one, you know, pushed her into this or, or led her through this or anything. This is something that she's been able to do. Uh, in addition to that, she doesn't need Sam to walk her home through the park. You know, at one point she even makes that crack about like, why do you need protection? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, which is, which is great. Um, that even after they're walking through the park and they get hot dogs together and that sort of stuff, there's a, there's a strong sense of, uh, that she is in a bad situation, potentially dangerous situation for her that leads her into the prostitution, but that ultimately she is not someone that needs to be, inherently rescued if that makes sense even though she does need to be <laughs> rescued I mean, do you know what I mean uh, I, I, 
I feel like the episode could have done better in the fact that she lacks agency in that, like, throughout the episode, there are a lot of moments of confusion that she could clear up if she just told people that she were deaf and she needed the extra she needed the extra help of like looking looking at it face on like there's a lot of confusion with Otto that could have been cleared up if she just said hey I'm deaf we need to look at each other face to face well and to me to me that's the difference between someone being empowered and someone lacking agency because I don't think it's that she lacks the agency sure otherwise she wouldn't be in New York she wouldn't you know what I mean like she does a lot of things but she lacks a certain level of empowerment and 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 self-confidence and I think that you know you can do that and still have a good deal of agency because even by the end of the episode her willingness to say no in the hotel room, her willingness to go back into the audition. Um, and yeah, of course, you know, Sam gives her a little bit of a push, uh-huh. but he doesn't make the decision for her. And that, it, to me, again, just makes the episode a little bit more powerful. For sure. I'm getting way ahead of myself. But yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. All points. Yes. I got gotcha. you. Uh, so cool. yeah, it, yeah, it was a great, yeah. Uh, I, I love the sequence, like walking home through the park and with the hot dog yeah. vendor and like setting up like basically like you, you get a picture of like what Diana's routine is. Well, and after seeing so many characters in the club that either don't care about her or want to find a way to take advantage of her, the sweet interchange between her and the hot dog vendor yeah. with the sign language and everything is really nice. Yeah. But also now th- this is just now crossing my mind right now. Oh, no. uh, like <laughs> how late do hot dog vendors stay out on the street? Hey man, in New York City, like we gotta you can get it any time of day. Okay, you want a hot dog? I'll get you one. Yeah, I mean, she, okay. Anyway, uh, yeah. So we have the like the like the nice scene uh, up on uh, up on the the little, the, the little bridge area. The bridge. I, yeah. I think that's the same bridge that uh, that Oswald Cobblepot's parents drop him off of in the opening sequence of Batman Returns. I'm, you you could be absolutely. I'm, I'm not sure. Anyway, um, so yeah, the nice little scene. Uh, she explains like how she is able to quote hear the music and and how she needs to like look at each head off. We get the the final exchange about Otto and the walrus lips and and everything. Right. Um, yeah. Well, and the thing that I really liked about the scene too is that Sam, you know, makes the comment about not being able to imagine what it's like to not hear the music or not hear anything. And rather than, again, you know, fall into that, that trap of just sort of like, oh, poor Diana, she can't hear. She instead provides him with an explanation that is incredibly powerful and beautiful. And, 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 you know, having known, um, deaf people and having worked closely with, uh, uh, someone who taught at, at the Indiana school for the deaf, um, and also worked with someone whose, whose parents were deaf. Um, you know, that culture is very important to a lot of deaf people. And, um, you know, they don't see it as a disability or anything uh, that, that some people, you know, hearing, um, without hearing impairment might see it as. And I think that, uh, you know, for her to provide this explanation for Sam and, and the way that he, you know, accepts it, it's, it's a wonderful teaching moment because obviously Sam is going to try to teach her some things throughout the episode, but I think it's a nice moment where, you know, the roles are reversed and it's, and it's, it's great. And again, it's nice because this episode doesn't, in other episodes, oftentimes, you know, Sam would have an inkling of an idea or maybe he would know sign language or Al would know sign language or something like that. The fact that this is an opportunity where they don't know any of these things, uh, I think 
adds to the strength and texture of the episode. Absolutely. Yeah. So we get to the end of the scene, and he drops her off at home. And this is like one of those, I, I don't know what it is. Like, th- this is always a powerful little moment that is always stuck in my mind about this episode. He drops her off at home. She walks away, or he walks away, and then we see her come out of the building and go across the street and crawl into her van. Yeah. Uh, and and it's it, it's kind of a hopeful scene because we have the sunroof and she you know she's laying there and she's you know she's staring out into into the sky and looking somewhat hopeful. But it is a powerful moment where we realize that she is essentially homeless. Yeah. And and living out of her vehicle. Also, to be nitpicky. Because that's what we do on this show. Uh, it, it is the one moment of the episode that caused me to almost facepalm because you have the, the panhandler woman who's trying to get her attention yes. and has that stupid line, what are you, deaf or something? Yes. And it's like, what the fuck kind of lowbrow bullshit is this? And that's what, the, the, the excuse that I give it is, uh, you know, we often, uh, you know, we talk about, especially with, with this era of TV, like, always over-explaining everything to anyone who may just be tuning in in that particular moment. It's like, hey, we just need to remind you every few minutes that this character is deaf. Right. No, that's a good point. Uh, That's a good point. Yeah. I did... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, I did have a moment as I was watching the episode where I went, Sam knows that she's, like, poor and working as a waitress how does he buy that she lives in this kind of swanky looking place outside Central Park? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to chalk that up to Sam's Swiss cheese memory. Um, and if his idea of living in the big city is as informed as mine, uh, <laughs> we, we get that. I mean, uh, I mean, I think a lot of TV shows are guilty of that. Like friends and totally. friends in particular springs to mind, you know, as you know, if you, if you had these yeah. characters and they actually had these occupations, they would not live in places that looked as nice as rent control. This. Yes. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, you know what I think the other thing is, is you could always in situations like this, I think you could make an argument about Sam basically being a farm boy at heart. Yeah. And even though we know he's been to New York city, he played Carnegie hall when he was 16, you know, he, he becomes this, um, um, you know, prize winning scientist, etc. But I, I still think that there's always going to be, and we get a lot of it through the course of the show, obviously the aw shucks, you know, farm boy, you know, naive farm boy at heart. So, yeah, it, it, it didn't really bother me, but I did have the thought. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, I got you. I got you. Um, uh, you referenced the, the, the homeless woman and the thing and the, the, the panhandler and the, and, the, and, the, and the strong overacting moment there. We're going to get to another moment later on in the episode. <laughs> uh, so, oh, boy. Yeah. So from there, uh, I, I think we're, we're back at the club the next day. Is This is where... Uh, is this where we get the scene of, of Sam teaching himself sign language and we learn like what the sign language is for quantum leap? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's a nice little moment. I love uh, Matt Dale points out in his book that that, that is a very thin sign language book. <laughs> and it happens to have yeah. the word quantum in it. Right. <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll allow it. Right, right, right. I'll allow it. So, do we get a moment in the scene where basically, like, Al is telling Sam, like, like you're trying too hard, or, or you're not, you're not going down the right way with this. Like, you're trying to get, like, you're getting Diana's hope up, hopes up, like, trying to get her to, to audition instead of just 
she needs to get out of New York. She needs to get on a bus back to yeah. back to Wyoming, where we should note that where she grew up, but she dropped out of high school. It's a very yeah. It's a very if for for Al, it almost seems like her going home and finishing high school is the victory here, not empowering her to go to the audition. You know, see if she can't get into the dance company and you know and, and live happily ever after. And it's it's kind of interesting. That it, it is very. We're getting. Uh, yeah, very conservative old man Al here. <laughs> well, right, it's almost like it's it, it's almost like um, it, it, she's better off if she settles for the safe bet. Sure, uh, all things considered, as opposed to her, you know, really going for it. Um, and it's it's cool because it creates. I mean, obviously, this isn't something we're foreign to, but it creates a nice little bit of subtle, small conflict between Sam and Al. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like it kind of motivates Sam even more. Sure. Yeah, to, to, yeah, to, to have something to, to prove. Yeah. Maybe Al's using reverse psychology. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> uh, so from there we get into like uh, this very nice scene of uh, what Sam has been saying Diana is taking it to heart. So she is in the club practicing and she's frustrated because there's a certain move or something that she's not able to get and she, she's been practicing for several hours at this point um, yeah. and so she uh, cajoles Sam into into joining her dancing and they have this this very lovely dance scene which my I mean it's very great you talk it, 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 like they're they're both clearly like doing their own work Scott Bakula is doing his own work um, Watching the scene, and it's more like one of the iconic moments because they use it in the opening credits a lot. But who the hell is operating the lights? Like out of nowhere, they get but yeah. Out of nowhere, they get this special blue light on them. They do indeed as they're dancing. It you know uh, that aside because uh, you're absolutely right. I will say that it is beautifully shot um, mm-hmm. and, and and edited. Uh, it's obviously, I think it's, um, it's a great example of, um, oh God, I just blanked on, on, on our director, choreographer, extraordinaire guest star's name. Um, Debbie Allen. Yeah. Debbie Allen. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Uh, it is, it is clearly, um, something that Debbie Allen is, is I think suited for because it's a, it's a perfect fusion uh, in this episode of, of the direction, the, the, the camera work, the editing, the choreography, you know, the storytelling. It's a really, really nice moment, and, and it kind of ends up feeling in some ways like, um, you know, uh, not to get too prosaic, but kind of the heart and soul of the episode. Oh, sure. In, in this scene. Absolutely. Yeah. And, the, and, and I'm being facetious, like pointing out the blue light. Like the allow, <laughs> you know, you know yeah. it, it, it is a moment that is heightened and that blue light is in their head or something. I don't know. Right. Uh, it, 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 it's kind of like, you know, that, that old saying, don't let facts get in the way of a good story. Exactly. That's one of those situations where it's like, don't let reality they, get in the way of a good shot. No, no, no. no exactly. <laughs> and also, like, fresh in my mind, uh, right now, me and Betsy are tearing through Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Okay. Which I don't know if you've ever seen that show. I've not. Jess has. Uh, I, I've heard great things about it. Oh, it, it, it. Yeah, it's... Oh yeah, I could I could go down a whole rabbit hole with the, just like yeah that show. But it, uh, the conceit of that show is the main character sees her life as a musical. So there are there are at least like two or three musical numbers within every episode. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah, 
And it's also very interesting, you know, because, you know, it is a TV show on the budget and it's on the CW. So some musical numbers are very elaborate and they have their own separate set and they have these lights and everything. And sometimes they really just make do with with just having a very simple one character singing to another and they do a, a kind of fancy work with the camera moving around but it's oh like oh this is the low budget dance number yeah. of this episode <laughs> here's the big dance number here's the low anyway uh it's a fantastic show if you haven't seen it you should check yeah. it out uh but anyway so yeah this is a very this is a very cool moment it, 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 it's a nice high going into the low that we're about to go going into the audition scene mm-hmm yeah. Now, have we? Uh, did we gloss over, or has it happened yet? The scene where she gets mad at Sam for interfering with her ability to earn money, or does that happen? That happens after the audition, doesn't it? Uh, no, I think we glossed over it. There, the, yeah, there is an earlier scene. I think that's why she may be frustrated with him earlier in the episode. Yeah, yeah, because there is that moment where she where she goes to Mario and is, uh, you know, trying to kind of get further and get more money. And, and, and you know, he uh, basically tells her that he could offer her something, but he promised Rod that he yes, wouldn't. Yes, that's right, and, yeah. So we get this yeah, really skeevy, and it's just, like, taken for granted. Like, he's obviously, like, sexually soliciting her, and that's just yeah. part of the job. Yep, yeah, it's, yeah, God. Yeah, he is. He is a creep, without a doubt. He is, yeah, um, a piece of work. No redeemable qualities whatsoever. No, none, none, none at all. Although, let's face it, you know, Valerie doesn't end up coming off much, much better either. Uh, no, yeah, We're, and it, because she's watching this scene unfold between the two of them, and you can tell that she gets the idea for what she does later while watching, you know, them in this scene. Exactly. Because she even said, doesn't she even say, is this the point where she looks at Diana and she's like, hey, maybe I can help you out. You know, you, you know you'll have to maybe do some, do some work for me, but I can loan you the money now. And, and so she doesn't set up the, the date that will happen later, but she kind of lets sure. Diana know that she'll be, you know, thinking of her. That the, yeah, that there is, yeah. there is something coming up. But anyway, so we... One have, pimp to another. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we have this audition scene. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which starts out promising, but then the, the crux of it is is that Diana gets singled out with some other dancers to do to do the the pre planned choreographed routine, but then at the end to improvise. But since Joanna has her back to Diana when she talks about the improvising part, Diana doesn't know to do that when they get to that part. Of the yeah, sequence. and even before that, she doesn't hear her number called at first. Exactly, yeah. and almost gets left out. But Sam intervenes and says, "No, no, right. no, she's right here." Um, yeah, it, it, it's a great scene because the thing is, is that Joanna, uh, you know, and God bless Debbie Allen. I mean, seriously, I think she just kind of knocks this guest star role out of the park. She does not come off as being cold or you know unfeeling towards uh, Diana at all. You know, in fact seems to be sympathetic, but ultimately she's like, hi, I'm sorry, I can't deal with this because I got a dance company to run. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's an effective, it's a very effective scene, I feel like, because it, it, you know, it ends up being the, the thing that leads Diana into being like, fine, I'll, I'll take the other work. Yeah. You know? That, that breaks her at the end of the scene. Yeah. And like, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, just the, the moment where, face-to-face talking slowly to her like after Sam has explained like you have to look at her direct on and like explaining to her face-to-face slowly 
that she can't help her because she would require too much help. Yeah. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. It really is. And it's and it's played very well by all involved because you see like Sam's kind of out of focus for part of it. But but you still see him in the background uh, of, of like the over the shoulder shots there. And then, you know, you see like close ups of Diana's face and close ups of uh, uh, of Joanna's face. And it's it's yeah, it's very well done. Very well done. Yeah. And Al is on hand, too, at that moment to to, to see this happen and, and unfortunately be proven right. At yeah. least for now. Yep. Not to gloat. Yeah. Um, so I think it's from there. Um, uh, is this where, yeah, we, we cut to the scene where Sam is back in front of Diana's apartment building. And this is, and this is where we get, like, I, she's either the property the manager or the owner. Uh, yeah. of, she, she is just there to serve, uh, to, to tell Sam that Diana doesn't actually live there, and she actually lives in this rundown Volkswagen van that that gets moved around back and forth. Right. And this is the moment uh, Betsy was in and out this morning, but she walked through during this scene, and Betsy was like, "Oh, that woman is acting." <laughs> and she's like, "Yeah, but she's supposed to be playing a crazy person." I'm like, "No, she's not. She's not. She's not a crazy homeless person. She's she's like the property manager. Right? And, she's and, like, yeah, she's supposed to be the building manager." And, 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 and Betsy was like, "Oh, yeah." Yeah. Yeah. No, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm getting the, the, the sequences confused, but somewhere in this also, like, we get the scene of Diana's van being towed away. That's right. And the police yes. hang out there, and she's not even given the opportunity to to get her belongings out of the van. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is, like... If the episode just wasn't so strong overall, this is one of those moments where you would just be like, yes, of course, all of this happens on the same day. You know what I mean? Because, like, she has the trouble at the audition. You know, she loses her van. Like, it's just like, wow, that's the shittiest day ever. And then the truth of the matter is, though, I, you know, in the world that we come from, you know, having having worked in theater, like... We know people that have had that day. Like, yeah. I know people that have had, like, a shitty audition and then gotten evicted or, like, you know, come home to find, you know, the power shut off or, you know, it'd be like, it's like that, that shit actually happens. Or they and then it's or, or, kicking the balls. Yeah, or, or I know someone who, who had their vehicle towed because someone decided that it was abandoned yes. and called 311 on them and had it towed. Same here. That happened to me when I lived in Indianapolis, believe it or not. Damn. Yeah, and and part of the reason why I hadn't moved the car in a while is because I didn't have money to pay for gas, and I was only using my car if I absolutely positively had to. <sighs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, so yeah, all of this happens <laughs> in one day. And so we get where, yeah, she goes She goes back to uh, Heidi's, Valerie, that's her name, goes back to Valerie, yeah. gets set up on the, on the date. Like, hey, he, he just wants to have a good time, just this once, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so we know where this is headed. Gives her some money to go out and get to get a nice outfit. Um, she even says at one point about how she'll make you, you know you, you you can make three hundred dollars, maybe more if he really likes you. It's like oh uh, uh, yeah. Uh, so shortly after that, we get the scene where Sam comes in looking for Diana. Valerie initially lies to him. Sam goes talks to Otto. This is when uh, we get one of the mirror shots here, and this is like one of those mirror shots where they they kind of fake the angle a little bit, and that's yeah. and that's how they uh, they accomplish the special effect. Um, it is also interesting though. I noticed this watching it, and Matt points it out in his book. There's a moment where 
Otto says, oh, yeah, she was just talking to Valerie. And they cut back to another shot of Valerie. And it's clearly... It's a freeze frame. Yeah, it's a freeze frame, yeah. So weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was like, oh, oh, like they, there, there was some there was some coverage that they forgot to shoot. So they had to right. take inserts in the end of the room. Uh, and so we get this weird scene where Sam confronts Valerie. And this weird moment of, of Sam saying, I'm not judging your lifestyle. But if you could redo that first time again, would you do it? Yeah. And it's, uh, Yeah. There's a it's lot to unpack in that. There really is, and and, and we're not, I I don't think we need to go too deep into it, but I will just throw out there, you know, the as opinions, um, I, I think, and, and societal acceptance in general have changed of of sex work. Um, it is interesting to hear Sam, you know, in the span of like two minutes, less than two minutes, thirty seconds, really, kind of be okay, not be okay, that's the wrong way to put it, but um, not have a problem or take issue with you know, what she does, uh-huh. and then yet basically shame her, like, all in the same breath, you know, like, like it's okay, you know, I'm not, I'm not judging you at all, but would you still do yeah. it if you, you know, it's kind of like... I'm it's not kind judging of like, you, but I'm judging you. Yeah, I, it's, it's almost like, no, it's, it's even more like, I'm not judging you, but you should judge you. <laughs> that, that's exactly... Yeah, and and, and sex work, it's such a weird thing because it's like, yes, there are people who, they're not victims. They do choose to go into it of their own free accord and they, you know, and and it's something that they actually enjoy doing. But on the other hand, it is a trait that it is so easily to fall into or to be coerced into or to be human trafficked into. Yeah. You could very easily be a victim. So it is a weird. Yeah. It's a weird like, yes, you could be doing this of your own free will. You could be doing this because you're coerced into it. Yeah. It's funny because uh, we've we might have mentioned the show before uh, on the podcast and I know you and I have even had a couple of, you know, discussions outside of the podcast about, but that television show Easy, which is shot here in Chicago, mm-hmm. it's a Netflix show. Yeah. And I, I know, like, for instance, there's an episode um, where a character's getting a massage and is offered a happy ending, yeah. and, and, and you um, took exception to that to talk about, like, sex trafficking in particular mm-hmm. and how that was used. And then there's another episode, on, uh, you know, on the flip side of that, there's another episode about a sex worker, and she is absolutely empowered and completely yeah. you know not has and, and and so i think that it's important it's important to have those perspectives like multiple perspectives absolutely. because if you just look at it as saying like no prostitution or sex work is absolutely wrong and clearly they have been coerced into this or led into this and it's a life of depravity then what are you really learning whereas if you look at the fact that there are healthy examples of people that engage in it um you know, in, in a way that is beneficial not only to themselves but to the people that they serve. So, I, 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 it's just an interesting little moment. It is <laughs> for, for Sam, and, it is, and it's like, and I took exception to it. Uh, and I mentioned this on the podcast before, but in case if, if you haven't heard these episodes before, I am also a massage therapist, and it's like it's a weird like even people in the general public like often conflate massage therapy with sex work. And the reason why I took a particular exception to that to that moment in Easy that you brought up is that Easy does take place in Chicago, and the thing is, 
human trafficking is a very particular problem in Chicago, and the biggest cover for human trafficking are massage parlors. Um, and the way it's treated in the episode is like uh, this guy, uh, him and his wife, they are they're, they're deciding to have an open marriage, and he he makes a comment that he just he just excuse language. I don't know why we've said fuck on this show plenty of times before. But right. he says, I just want to fuck a stranger. And his friend says, oh, yeah, that's easy. Go downtown. Get a massage. Yeah. And it's and it's a way that, yes. And, like, living a, and living as a massage therapist, it is very difficult because, uh, yes, I, I have very people, like, very frequently, like, make jokes or, like, make comments to me that I must also be a sex worker. Mm. Uh, and I'm a guy. I don't, yeah. I don't have it near as bad. As women do. Uh, I mean, a, a few weeks ago, like, uh, within the course of a few days of each other, uh, I made an appointment with someone, a guy, which I eventually canceled because I became all but certain that he was looking for sex. Mm. And at the same time, I overheard a conversation of a woman therapist in my office telling someone over the phone, actually, you don't want my services. You want a prostitute. Call them. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's a whole rabbit hole. Yeah, no, without a doubt, yeah. without a doubt. And I, you know, I didn't mean to take us down that necessarily, but I, you know, I, I think that there's value in kind of recognizing the fact that in, in the way that we strive to sort of provide context for the episodes in in the three different time periods. In this instance, you know, in 1979, New York, it would very it'd be very easy to see prostitution as being a very seedy thing. Yeah, you know, something that uh, that this young girl, this nineteen-year-old deaf woman from Oklahoma, sure. is is you know is coerced, tricked into you know uh, doing out of necessity, and it leads her to a, a horrible life and a horrible end. Um, you know, in nineteen ninety-one. Things hadn't changed that much, but now in 2018, we can kind of look back and we can kind of say, you know, hey, yeah, but there there is a healthy there is a healthy aspect to this, and I think that we need to have that you know that per, that perspective. Absolutely, um, yeah. So so to, added in, yeah. So to, so to drive the end of the scene home, like if we don't know whether or not Valerie was empowered or whether she was a victim, you may have missed this because it's a throwaway moment at the end of the scene, and I had to rewind this four times. <laughs> to be able to hear it because the show doesn't have subtitles on the Blu-ray release. Uh, after Sam leaves, and she says it like so under her breath, like I said, I'd rewind it several times, but she says something to the effect of, why can't I get a nice guy? Yep, she does. And it kind of and and confirms she got into this as a victim. Yeah. And, and now she's like figured out a way to be empowered in it, but she started out as a victim. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's it, it, Al even calls her uh, Irma LaDuce, which is uh, Irma LaDuce. Oh, I, I don't know how to say it. I can't say it. But uh, it, it's a, um, a French stage musical, which was turned into a romantic comedy starring Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine, directed by Billy Wilder from 1963. And in the context of the film, Shirley MacLaine plays a, a French prostitute. Um, and uh, Jack Lemon plays uh, an honest cop, a nice guy, you know, who basically tries to get her out of this this life. Uh, and um, you know, she ends up getting pregnant. They get married. They you know all sorts of. And it's just like, oh, you know, yeah, she needed the she needed the nice guy to come along or whatever. And there's more to it than I'm glossing over it. But in this case, you know, the comparison that, that Al throws at her 
uh, unbeknownst to her. And then, of course, the comment she makes after Sam walks out is just sort of like, oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like cool. Like, if you want a nice guy in your life, that's awesome. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that there's anything wrong with that. But just don't think that that's what you need in order to change your situation, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Exactly. Oh, there's a lot to unpack in that. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, so, so we get to uh, the hotel, basically, that the yep. that uh, Martin is staying at. Um, oh, Henry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, Sam knocks on the door, and Al's already on the other side, and is there to confirm that, that Diana is in there because Martin tries to say that she is not in there. And this is where we get it dropped, and, like, I needed to be reminded that, that Diana is only 19. Yeah. And again, it's one. Of the, it's, uh, a lot of times, actors like they they just appear older, especially women actors. Uh, so yeah, it, it's like I was like, oh yeah, like she's not in her mid twenties; like she is nineteen years old, right? Um, so yeah, he he burst in. Martin calls security, as Sam suggests that he does. Can we point out Martin's really creepy line that he has though about how nineteen is age of consent in New York? Oh, like, God. just like like this dude's clearly like supposed to be in like his late thirties, early forties, probably, and yeah. he's just all like, you know, nineteen, old enough for me. You know, it's like, oh, sure. uh, <laughs> yeah, and I, uh, oh yeah, that's a whole rabbit hole. Uh, which I think, yeah, we we kind of went that we were talking about uh, the what price Gloria, yeah, uh, yeah, episode of. Yeah, if you got to point out age of consent, right? You, you know you're yeah you're doing it wrong. You're doing, like yeah yeah you 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 know you're creepy. Uh, yeah. Whole other tangent. I'll go about it off mic. Anyway, so yeah, so Sam uh, he comes in and basically he he talks Diana off the ledge, so to speak. Security shows up, and Martin kind of presents to the security is like, "Hey, he came in. He is harassing this woman." And it kind of comes down to Diana to make the decision of which way she's going to go. Yeah, and that's kind of, the I think, the moment that stood out for me is that, you know, yes, Sam goes in, and yes, Sam tries to say, like, hey, you don't have to do this. Um, but because it's not a huge, long, drawn-out scene, because it's not, like, some sort of crazy, impassioned plea from Sam... It, and because of the way that it resolves, it feels very much like it's Diana getting to make this choice, not being pushed into it by Sam because it's the right thing to do or anything like that. It, it feels much more like Diana's choice. And that, to me, that to me ended up feeling very key to the episode yeah. in a lot of ways. Well, it's like Sam had made that impassioned plea earlier in the episode, uh, which we kind of glossed over, I think, they're on the street, where, you know, like, you know, Diana, she has other heightened sentence because she's deaf and, and Sam like makes a comparison. It was like, you know, like, you know, well, yes, like I, I can't remember how he exactly puts it, but he was like, yes, I have a heightened sense and I can see that you are at a turning point right now. You can go down one path or another. Mm-hmm. And so like, he kind of makes that impassioned plea then in the moment and he plants the seeds so that in this moment we have that. Yeah. It could have been very ham fisted if Sam made the plea here. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, she makes the decision and she, and she leaves with, uh, and she leaves with Sam. So from there we get back to Diana's basically private audition again. Sam works something out with Joanna and we have this beautiful little, uh, dance sequence with just, 
with just her. Uh, and, it's, and it's a great moment at the end where, where one, like Sam admits to, or Al admits to Sam that he was proven wrong. Yep. And But I, what, the moment I love in the scene is when Joanna comes up and smacks Sam across the face. <laughs> and he's like, what's that for? It's like, because you almost let her get away from me. Yeah. It's a cute little moment. And, okay, but I do want to point out one thing. How do we feel about the fact that Diana is wearing the same dress that she was in the hotel room? Like, she's wearing the dress that she bought in order to be a prostitute to audition. Like, oh, uh, I missed that. I, I thought it was funny. I mean, I, I think it's fine. It doesn't bother me at all. It's a, it's, it's, it's a great dress. Why wouldn't she wear this fancy dress that she bought? You know, but it was it, it did strike me as slightly amusing that it's like, She's wearing the same dress that she was wearing in the hotel room. Uh, <laughs> economy of storytelling? Ooh. Economy of Jean-Pierre Dorliac's costume design? Uh, yeah. You know, he wanted that dress to be seen. Seen, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, less less budget done on another... another. Hey, it's a good-looking dress, and it works perfectly for the dance. It's which is choreographed beautifully, shot beautifully... Uh, and, and it is a really nice moment. And it just kind of, again, I want to reinforce the fact that I think Debbie Allen does an incredible job with this episode as, you know, as director, mm-hmm. choreographer, actor. Like, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, there's a way I talked about earlier in the episode. There's one shot, like, it's like it's like a jump in this in this dance sequence that for a moment I, I think it's, it's not the actor playing Diana. But again, mm-hmm. it, it could just be in a weird angle. I don't know. Yeah. Don't but know anyway, so we get this, we get this nice little... Uh, denouement, it's like all wrapped up in a tiny little bow, and then we get this cute moment of of Al going, well, I think it's time to... And he does, and he does the sign. The signing for Quantum Leap. And he leap, does yeah. the sign, he does the sign for Quantum Leap. Uh, and then, and then we leap, and then we leap. Into a piano bar. Into a piano bar, yeah, with all, yeah. oh, the, the little... Uh, beat kit, what do you call it? The gag, yeah, no, I know, I know what you're talking about, but I don't know what we'd call it either. Oh god, that is so, like, I remember having that, that, that Casio keyboard with that stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I love the fact that they work this gag in, in a way that is not, you know, integral at all to the, to the leap in, if you will, but it, it, uh, it I don't know, it plays in a cute manner, uh, we'll talk about it a little bit more next week, but, um, yeah, it's a good wrap-up, and, and I thought that the, you know, the romantic element, we haven't really talked much about it at all, but the romantic element of the story between Rod and Diana is, is, is also played very well. And it's just, like, yeah, o- overall, from top to bottom, I, I think the episode works a lot. It is interesting in my mind, we don't get a lot of who Rod really is at all. And so there's a part of me that's like, it's one of those episodes where you think, what's it going to be like when the real Rod gets back? You know, I, I, I thought about that, and, and one, like, there's, some, there's some really great dialogue moments that we, that we glossed over, like, because Diana and Sam have a lot of, a lot of arguments of, uh, of uh, Diana wanting to be a dancer, you know, being a, you know, a stripper. She's like, how is it any different from what you do? And Sam yeah. has a line of one more, like, like this isn't me. Like, 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 this is an illusion. So we get a nice little... Allusion yeah. to yeah. you know to the to the whole to the whole thing in general, but uh, but then yeah. So there, there's one moment where where Sam tells Diana, "It's like I am not going to always be here. Like I am not going to be in your life forever." Right. And and so like I basically like I I just I just want to get through to you. Like I want to make the impact that that you're better than this. I want to get this yes. to you now, so that when I am out of your life. You know that. And so watching this last scene, actually, I was watching it like, I was wondering, like, what is the moment like after Sam leaps out? 
Yeah. Because Diana is still with Joanna. You have to imagine that as soon as Sam leaps out, Diana is going to run over to Rod to thank him for his help. Right. And Rod's going to be like, what, what, what? Yeah. And since, like, we, we, we don't really know who Rod is. Like, we don't know if Rod is a genuinely nice guy who's not going to take right. advantage of Diana. Or we don't know if he's a skeevy tool who is going to try. Gonna, yeah. But, yeah. But we do know from Al's uh, final thing that everything does turn out well for Diana. Uh, you know, she goes on to basically become, like, one of, like, lead performers in Joanna's company. Yeah. But most importantly, Sam... <laughs> she goes back and she graduates high school. She finishes high school. Stay at, yeah. stay at school, kids. I feel like that was the very special after school moment of this. Oh, yeah. of this episode of like most importantly, stay, stay in school. Don't have sex. Yeah. you won't die from AIDS. <laughs> like that's like basically like what the episode like. That, you know, it's like oh okay yeah great that, <laughs> yeah that is uh, that kind of sums up this whole episode right there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, then he leaps into uh, he leaps into the piano bar, which uh, it's gonna be yeah, it's gonna be interesting talking about that episode. Yeah, uh, I mean, hey, you know, somewhere in the night, which is a song that is is sung in the episode, ends up being you know fairly iconic as far as I'm concerned when it comes to quantum leap. So, uh, but there's there's other things in, in general with the episode that'll be interesting as well. For so. sure, I I, I mean the, to 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 throw this out there. Uh, I, I am somewhat of a singer, but you are a singer, and you are also a guitar player. So if you wanted to, if you wanted to pick out, I know, I know, I know the sheet music exists out there somewhere. Uh, if you wanted to do a special acoustic guitar performance of somewhere in the night, <laughs> this is not the first time you've brought this up. <laughs> is it not? No, no, it's not. It's not. You've also brought it up. I think about Face Wide Wheel. About like we could do the we could do the theme song ourselves. We could do the, yeah. The, um, We'll see what happens. Sure. I mean, yeah. You got, uh, yeah, a lot on your plate with that. But anyway. Speaking of which. Speaking yeah, of you got to uh, do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You probably. You know, but, but real quick, though, final thoughts, though. Uh, what, what do you say, Dennis? What do you say? Uh, yeah, this is a really great episode. Like, it's been years since I've seen this episode. Uh, and so it holds up. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, a lot, a lot of times it's like, oh, it didn't hold up as well as I thought, or it held up a lot better. Like, it held up about exactly what I thought. Uh, yeah. I agree. I, I, I felt like it's a really strong episode and uh, feels a little different in some ways, and that's a good thing, especially surrounded by some of the episodes that it, that it is. Um, so, yeah, I have thumbs up. Yeah. Uh, the one thing you I know, did know is, like, good. taking place in 1979, taking place much closer to the present mm-hmm. than usual, you, you, you kind of you shed the, the time travel gimmick and you shed, like, the, the Sam making anachronistic comments about things and you you kind of throw that That's like true. Sam is much more comfortable in his element yeah and so it just becomes more about like just like being like present in the moment no pun intended and right. and it becomes like less about the time travel gimmick which That's not a very good which point. which is sometimes it's refreshing what are your thoughts I know I would agree with that because in a way it helps you to focus a little bit more on kind of like the human drama of it. You know, I think that's like thou shalt not is, you know, we go back to that episode as sort of a touchstone a lot, or at least I do. And I think that, you know, similar to that, you know, it was also set in the seventies, for instance, that it, it, you know, it does shed some of that and allows us to focus more on the human drama as opposed to the, any of the gimmicks. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it, it works really well. Yeah. Those are my thoughts. 
Sweet. All right. Well, in that case, let's leap out, let's of, leap here. out of here. All right. See you next week, right. everyone, for uh, for Piano Man. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed what you've heard or have any questions or comments, don't be shy. Reach out to us online at www.quantumleappod.com or Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Fates Wide Wheel. And remember to hit the subscribe button and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you may be listening. Until next time. I want to stay.